I'm glad we got the uh, Advent candles lit. Now the pastor can wax eloquently. <clears throat> Ufta. Dear family members and friends of First Lutheran Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Advent is a time to pause and ponder. Once again, God's call to us through John the baptizer, who we've just heard in our gospel text. It's a call to travel out, to travel out into the wilderness, away from the distracting din of all the texts and blurred screens that so often take away our spiritual sensibilities and moral priorities, taking them captive. It's a call by this wily old prophet with grasshoppers on his breath who puts us dead to rights and brings us to the end of our deserted selves. And so this Advent Word of God at the very heart of things that prepares the way of the Lord. The Word, it's right there in verse 3, the heart of our text. John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. My friends, it's about time. It's about time. The whole notion of repentance and forgiveness was dusted off and given its rightful place is a vitally important part of our lives as Christian people. For ours is a time when the soul of the church, that's us, has become rather complacent and sick unto death. To paraphrase some of the dark humor of one of my favorite authors, Anne Lamott, who writes, for us not to confess our sins, to not repent and become contrite of heart, well, it's like our drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Think about that, okay? I think I smell a rat. We're part of a culture that's taken up with fitness. There's perhaps been no other time in our nation's history when so many people have joined health clubs, give such care to their diets, and watch their profiles, or have taken up jogging. Unless you're averse to that whole business, like my mother-in-law, who's famous in our family for saying, guys, when I see a happy-looking jogger, I'll join in. <laughs> and yes, all of this is a good thing, as Paul would remind us in 1 Corinthians 3 and again in 6.19. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that Christ, God's Spirit, dwells within you? So taking care of this temple is important. However, all the exercising and dieting in the world can't bring us into true health or wholeness. Why? Because deep down, interconnecting all the dimensions of our lives, the physical, the mental, and the emotional, is the spiritual dimension of our lives. In Christ, all things hold together. 
That's why we're called psychosomatic in nature. Psyche meaning mind and spirit, soma meaning body. Our souls are desperately in need of healing in our time, nurtured. When so much emphasis is placed on the material, the physical, the one-day sale only that runs us into the ground. Like John the baptizer, the psalmist, Psalm 32, was on to this when he offers this following diagnosis. When I declared not my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, O Lord. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged, I acknowledged my sin to you, O Lord, and did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my sin to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt and was freed from the burden of my sin. However, for many people today, talk about confession of sin sounds vaguely archaic, with no connection to health. It's what people did in the biblical or medieval times. It's what churchgoers are supposed to do in some formal prayer or in the confessional. The assumption here is that no healthy-minded person need bother with confession and forgiveness. Today we have the now famous line from the movie, Love Story. You know, love means never having to say you're sorry. Or we have self-help books like, I'm okay, you're okay. Well, after reading this New York Times bestseller back in the early 70s, my dad gave it a Lutheran Confessions review with a new title, I'm a Schmuck, You're a Schmuck. <laughs> Subtitled, and that's not okay. Thanks, Dad. Or we have TV evangelists like one in Houston with a big gilded globe that circles round with nary a cross in sight preaching, you're essentially a good person. You mean well. You want to have a happy life, but those naysayers out there just keep dragging you down. Must not have read, I'm okay, you're okay. Hmm? All you need to do is just pull yourself up in the morning and say, I'm just going to have a great day. I believe in me. Well, that's rather theology for the birds. And speaking of birds, a few years ago, a member of our congregation, the late Pete Hoydall, told me about a fellow who bought a parrot to entertain his grandkids when they got together at Thanksgiving. But to his horror, he found the bird to have the foulest mouth, pun intended. The man kept warning the parrot to repent, change his ways, but it just keep cussing like an old longshoreman. When Thanksgiving Day came, the parrot just kept up his profanity. After dinner, when all the food was put away in the fridge, the parrot told the man where he could go too. Totally frustrated, the man grabbed the parrot, stuck him in the fridge, and said, cool off till you change your crooked ways. 
So about an hour or two later, the man came back to check on the parrot, now frozen stiff, barely able to make a peep except to repent of his terrible transgressions, that he wouldn't swear anymore. Well, the man was stunned at the parrot's contrition, and before he could ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior, the bird spoke up very softly. May I ask what the, what the turkey did? <laughs> Tough language for tough birds. Now, before we get all self-righteous with pop psychologists and TV evangelists, we need only look at the theological underpinnings of our own Lutheran liturgy and our new cranberry-colored ELW, page 94, if you want to look at it, which deems that the confession and forgiveness is optional. Some of us discussed this in our Wednesday morning Bible study this past week, and a couple of reasons were posed how this has become so mistakenly wrong. One person said, well, maybe, you know, it's just too depressing. It's too dark, this confessional stuff. Or another person said, well, we just want to be sure that we're welcoming, you know, when visitors come. But what's at stake is being welcoming but dishonest, of trying to celebrate some cheap grace without recognizing our lostness, our guilt, our shame, yes, our sin. President Harry Truman is quoted as saying, I never give people hell, I just tell the truth, and they think it's hell. How true for John the Baptist. For many in the church today, there's a sole focus on baptism without any need for repentance or a life of discipleship. We don't often give much thought to John the baptizer as being a physician of the soul, but he was. For it was given to John by God to know that there's no soundness in us without repentance, creating open and contrite hearts that make room for the adventing manger. Let me offer this brief illustration from Flannery O'Connor's novel, Wise Blood, which is very telling of our culture as well as of the church today. Flannery writes, after a night of debauchery and carnival in the town, Hayes, who's the main character, returned home to the farm where his mother was hanging out the morning laundry. What you seen? His mother asked. Well, Hayes couldn't look at her. It was hard enough not trying to stuff the guilt inside. He tried to convince himself it was no big deal anyway. I mean, lots of folks had been at at the carnival. What you seen, she asked. Hayes felt like he was going to throw up, but he wouldn't answer. He sat down and just stared at the ground. And then his mother said gently, Jesus loves you. Jesus died to redeem you. He wants you to be whole and well. Well, Hayes just sat there, and then he muttered, I never asked him. So writes Flannery. 
Think carefully with me on this. If we as the church aren't teaching people about salvation through a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, it's because we've forgotten the tragedy of being lost and no longer take sin seriously. If we're not teaching the message of forgiveness, it's because we don't remember what it was like to be guilty. And if we're not preaching the cross, it could be that we're subconsciously deciding that God forget. God forbid, somehow we just don't need it. I never asked them. Yet if we stay stuck in half solutions, misdiagnoses, and blaming others, we stay stuck in our sin as with haze. And life is just too precious for that. It's too short. It's too promising. My friends, the gospel, the good news of forgiveness and salvation in Christ never really makes sense where repentance has not first cleared the way by showing us what sin really is and how stuck and in bondage we are to it. The call to repentance comes to us again this day so that grace can have its full sway in our lives. Let me conclude with a true story of this full sway that includes a skip and a jump. When my nephew Andy was about three years old, he'd ask his mother, is today a communion Sunday? For you see, Andy loved going up for communion, to receive a blessing and feel an enfolding hand on his shoulder, a joy that always sent him skipping all the way back then to his seat. Now, did Andy know the full measure of God's grace that connected all the dots of I'm sorry's of repentance with the absolution of forgiveness at communion? Well, I never needed to ask him. I just watched him skipping with joy as Psalm 16 witnesses. In thy presence, O Lord, is fullness of joy. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And what better way to prepare the way of the Lord? Amen.